word. I pray and ask that you would help us to see you for who you are. May that change everything about who we are and the way that we live our lives. Uh, we ask for your blessing now. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to New Life. We're so glad that you are here. Let's go ahead and take our Bibles this morning and turn to Genesis chapter number 14. Genesis chapter number 14. And we have one more week uh, after this week in our sermon series on the grace of of God, and I have I thoroughly enjoyed. I hope you've enjoyed listening. I've enjoyed studying and getting ready to preach uh, on just God's goodness and grace as we've seen it in the lives of Abram and Lot. We've been walking through that this month, and we've just seen. Uh, first, we saw at the very beginning, Abram. Many is a man who many of us look at. If you're familiar with the scripture, we look at Abram as uh, a hero of the faith. He's even called out in Hebrews 11 as a man of great faith. Uh, but we also saw that he was a man in desperate need of God to step into his life and give him grace. We saw that whenever he tried to give away his wife, Sarah, his wife, Sarai, uh, to, and he said that she was his sister. And they went to Egypt and, and he just, he really messed things up and he needed God to step in his life and uh, thank God that he did. God stepped in and gave him grace. And we learned in week number one that we are all in desperate need of God's grace. None of us are, as one of my favorite authors says it, none of us are ever grace graduates. We all daily need God's grace. And then we saw uh, that not everyone responds to grace the same way. Uh, we saw Abram responds to God's grace with uh, surrender and repentance and devotion. And that's the way that we should respond uh, to the grace of God. But then we saw Lot, he took the grace of God, he took the gifts of God, and he just, uh, he got caught up with the gifts. It says that God brought them out and uh, Abram built an altar to the Lord and Lot, he just, he had a lot of stuff. He had lands and herds and tents, so he took the gifts of God and he kind of turned them into being God. Uh, one person, I heard him say it this way, uh, whenever we take the gifts of God, when we pursue God for his gifts and not his presence or not him for who he is, that's still idolatry. It's still idolatry to pursue him for what he can give me and not for himself. Uh, so we saw Lot, he just, he gets consumed with the stuff and that shapes who he is. So we saw that not everyone responds to God's grace the same way. And then we talked about God's disciplining grace. How God's grace is not always just uh, things that are just uh, things that make us more comfortable or things that make us happy because God's not really after our happiness. He's after our eternal joy. So we saw how God was pursuing uh, Lot in chapter 14 whenever he lets war break out with the nine nations. And Lot is taken into captivity and all of his stuff. And God is pursuing Lot. God is disciplining Lot in grace. And we talked about why it's important to understand that for those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, it's important to distinguish between discipline and punishment or wrath. So Jesus took the wrath of God on the cross on our behalf. And for those of us who are his children, uh, he disciplines us. But there's a big difference between discipline and wrath. If I confuse the two, if I confuse the two, then I'll say, God, whenever bad things happen, whenever I'm going through a difficult season, I'll say, God, why are you doing this to me? God, why are you doing this to me? Which leads us to uh, really have a, a victim kind of mindset, and we're not looking to actually hear from God and the good work that he's doing in our lives. When we understand that his discipline is for my good and for my strengthening, then I'll ask the question, God, why are you doing this for me? Why are you doing this for me? And that puts us in a posture to listen uh, to the Lord and seek to grow through that. Then last week, in last week's message, we saw that when God rescues Lot, when God rescues Lot from uh, captivity, uh, he uses, he partners with a person. He partners with Abram. 
And we saw that whenever God does a work in people's lives, the transforming work that God is doing in people's lives, he's typically going to use other people. He's typically going to partner with other people to do that work. So last week, uh, this is really part two of last week's message, but last week we talked about how God desires for you and for me to be a partner in his work of transforming grace in the lives of other people. I'm not here simply for myself. Uh, God has placed me here. God has placed you in the time and the moment in which you live uh, to partner with him uh, for the work that he is doing in the world and for the work that he's doing in the transformation of lives of other people. That's why the church is so important. That's why we talked about last week, that I partner with God in the transforming work that he's doing in other people's lives uh, through things like community, through really committing uh, to the church family and speaking into each other's lives, through making disciples and helping each other grow in our faith. We talked about the importance of how we partner with God in transforming in the transforming work of the lives of people outside of our church through sharing the gospel, through sharing our faith, and through hospitality, through uh, actually demonstrating the love of Christ uh, through the way that we reach out to others. So last week we really talked about whenever it comes to partnering with God and the work of transforming grace and the lives of other people, last week we talked about what? Like what does that look like to partner with God in the transforming work that he is doing? This week we're going to talk about what is the fuel, what's the underlying, uh, what is underlying to all of that? How does that work? <laughs> Genesis chapter number 14, and if you would read with me in verse number 14. The Bible says, And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them, and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. I want to skip down to verse number 19, or sorry, verse number, uh, verse number 21. It says, And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up my hand unto the Lord, the most high, God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. Save only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men that went with me, Aner, Eskel, and Mamre, let them take their portion. So let's notice the underlying fuel of working, of partnering with God in the transforming work that he is doing. Whenever I was a teenager, I grew up in Arkansas, and we lived in really the middle of nowhere. My parents, had, uh, whenever I was about 13, they bought this like three-acre uh, plot of land that was really just all woods. And one summer, we got out, uh, we got out weed eaters, and we got out chainsaws, and we cut out a path uh, to move our trailer onto this plot of land. Uh, so we worked really hard. It was a terrible, it was a miserable summer. And after we had finally moved into that place, uh, one of my regular chores, one of the regular things that I did uh, every single week was I would weed eat uh, most of that property. So we had a 600 foot driveway. We would, I would weed eat all around the outside of the outskirts of the property. So every, every week I spent a good portion of my time either mowing 
or weed eating. So I got bored pretty quick, and some of you are just going to think less of me. I know it, but that's okay. Uh, I had to pass the time in a way that like, my imagination just had to run wild. Uh, so as I was weed eating, I would just uh, weed eat the grass. It would all be going good, and then I would come across uh, different things that I would use to use my weed eater as a weapon. And typically what I would do is I would find ant hills. I would find ant hills, I'd be weed eating, and there'd be a big mound of an ant hill, and uh, I would take my weed eater, and I would just, I would weed eat the top of the ant hill, and I would just watch millions of ants start to go everywhere. Uh, some of you, like, I don't know if you can call animal control for this, uh, but then I would go, and I would find either, like, spiders, or I'd find uh, grasshoppers, or things like that, and I would, you know, uh, I would give them, I would feed them uh, to these anthills that I had stirred up. So uh, every every week, that's what I would do. I would go weedy, and then I would find some anthills, I would mess with them, and then uh, I would just have as, as, as good a time as I could, as good a time as I could weed eating out in that heat. One particular day, I, I think that I stopped really going after the anthills after this in particular instance. One day I was weed eating, I was having a great time, I was almost done for the day, and I had made it to the end of my weed eating. I had gone all down the driveway, all 600 feet, and down at the bottom of the driveway was our family mailbox. So we had to make sure that we weed eating around the mailbox. Uh, I, went to the, I went to the mailbox, I started weed eating, and then all of a sudden there, I saw one of the largest mounds of an anthill that I had ever seen in my entire life. Like, it was huge. I was getting excited. Uh, there was a smile coming up to my face. I was just like, I was anxious. Like, I was going to savor this moment, getting after this ginormous anthill. Uh, I got the weed eater. I got it revved up good. I got it full blast, full power, full steam ahead, and I went right into that anthill. It took me about uh, three seconds before I realized something, that what I had weed eaten was not an anthill. What I had we needed was a big pile of dog doo-doo. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this pile was all over the place. It was all over me. And I don't want to discuss you too much, but it was uh, ears and eyes and different places. And all of a sudden, when I realized, whenever I smelt and, and, and tasted and, and all those kinds of things, once I had realized what I had gotten into, I booked it. I ran for the house. I have never gotten in the shower so fast in my life. I brushed my teeth, threw away the toothbrush. Like it was absolutely terrible whenever I got all that stuff all over me. As I was thinking about this week's message, I was thinking that, you know, on the outside, when you just came up on to this pile, they looked really, really similar. Like the, the dog pile and the ant pile, they looked the same. So much so that it, it confused me. I thought that what I was looking at was an ant, an ant pile. But whenever we got into what it actually was, like what was on the inside, like what it was made up of, how many of you know that an ant pile and a dog pile are two very, very different things? Whenever it comes to church life and ministering to each other, a lot of times, if you're just uh, if you're just a casual observer, if you're just walking around the room, you can see lots of people interacting with each other. And from a distance, it can look, it can seem like real ministry is taking place. But a lot of times, whenever we're ministering to each other, there's a lot of motives, there's a lot of things that are uh, under the surface uh, that if we're not careful, it can really be a mess. 
Uh, I've seen some people try to minister to other people with a, with a real heart of, of cynicism and criticism, where they're just uh, they're ministering to other people, but really all they're doing is they're looking at every, every flaw in the person that they're talking to to make themselves feel better. That's not a healthy motivation for interacting with other people, right? Uh, there are some people that they look for their identity. They say, hey, if, if I'm going, I have to make sure that I, I'm putting myself out there and I have to make sure that, I, that I'm saying all the right things so that way I can be uh, worthy of whatever, trying to justify ourselves and make ourselves feel good as we reach out to other people. Uh, that's not a healthy motivation. Uh, some people, they, their, their ultimate desire is to be the star of the show, to, to look like, to look like uh, they are uh, this amazing person. They're this amazing Christian that has everything all together, that's all buttoned up and perfect. And whenever, and their goal is that when people see them, that they would just look at them and say, oh man, that is the kind of person that I want to be. And that's their ultimate goal. Uh, for some people, they just want to manipulate and control uh, there's all kinds of different reasons why people interact with other people. But whenever it comes to the believer, whenever it comes to the way that we at New Life should function, the way that we should minister to, minister to each other, the motivation for every single interaction that I have, the, the fuel that runs uh, our relationship should be the fuel of God's grace. It should be the fuel of God's grace. We've seen, uh, so far as we've studied Abram and Lot, we've seen a lot take place over the last several weeks, haven't we? We've seen Abram and Lot travel together and step out in faith. We've seen Abram and Lot get into trouble in Egypt. We've seen them step out of Egypt. and uh, we've, seen them, uh, we've seen them argue with each other in the land. And then we saw Lot get kidnapped. And now we see Abram go to the rescue for Lot. Abram goes, and it's amazing here in the text, Abram takes 318 men that live in his house, his servants, those who work for him. He takes them, and they're all armed and trained, and he takes some other, he, take, he partners with some other people, and they go after Lot. It's amazing, in the middle of the night, they, they catch up to the kings that are kidnapping Lot, and they surround them by night. They attack them, and they swiftly win an incredible victory. But what we see at the end of the text is we see Abram's motivation. Like we see the fuel throughout these, throughout chapters 12, 13, and 14. We see what is leading Abram to make the decisions that he's making. And it's really beautiful in the text. Because the reality is, is Abram, there's so many things that we've seen over the last several weeks. One, I was shocked whenever I read this in chapter 14 that Abram actually goes after Lot. Because I don't know about you, and maybe I'm just petty. But whenever I read chapter 13, whenever we saw how Lot, uh, how Lot just, how they're arguing with each other, how Lot just kind of leaves Abram in the distance, how Lot is just going after the good land that's going to lead to prosperity for himself, and he just kind of leaves Abram off to the side. We, we see, we saw in chapter 13 how Lot just kind of spat in Abram's face. Part of me, whenever I read chapter 14, I was like, what is Abram doing? Like, if I was Abram, there would be a part of me that would be like, well, there you go, Lot. That's what you get. Uh, that's, that's what you deserve. Like, there will be part of me that will maybe be celebrating a little bit inside. Like, well, maybe now Lot will learn his lesson. Maybe now he'll come back and say sorry. But that's not the motivation of Abram whenever he goes to work for Lot, when he goes to help Lot. That's not the motivation. 
We see in the text that Abram's motivation is, is not just to acquire more wealth. It's not to get into a position of control where he can say, all right, if I, if I do this, then, then Sodom will give me more possessions and Lot will owe me one and I can, I can, I can kind of control him because he'll owe me. No, we don't see that because at the end of the chapter, we see Abram say, he says, hey, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take anything from you. I'm not going to take anything from you, king of Sodom, because I want, I, I've made a commitment to the Lord. Uh, that I'm going to be focused on him, that I'm going to be dedicated to him, that I'm going to let him take care of me. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do what I do to get in your good graces. What motivates Abram's action? What motivates his activity? This is so important, and I want you to get this, because a lot of times whenever we come across these passages, we just we narrow in on just chapter 14, but we miss the grander context of what's going on in the passage. And, and let me just stop for a moment, and let me just like uh, go on my, uh, let me go on like a little bit of a pastor rant for a moment, okay? You ready for this? Here, let me just, uh, let me say this. Uh, what, we are going to, what we are going to see in a minute is beautiful, but, but I've got to say this. That whenever it comes to chapter 14, I think that you will miss what's going on if you just look at chapter 14. You have to look at the bigger picture. And so many times, and I, if I could just encourage your own Bible reading and your own Bible study personally for a second, because a lot of times whenever we read scripture, when we engage in, when we engage with scripture, we just engage it in a very isolated way. What, what do you mean by that? Here's, here's what I mean. Whenever I was a youth pastor, I got connected with, with this group, and it's a great, it's a great group. And I, I talked to the leader, and he's a great guy. And, but they would put out this, they would put out this devotional where we would where we where there was like all of these devotionals where someone would put out a verse and then they would they there would be an article. There would be an article that the person would write for teenagers. So here would be the idea is that at the top of the teen devotional, it would say something like Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, uh, which strengtheneth me. That's a beautiful verse, isn't it? And then there would be a, a long article about how God strengthens us and empowers us and, and how we can trust him. And it's true, we can trust him. Uh, but uh, there is a grander context to what's going on in Philippians 4 that you will miss if you don't look at what's all going on here. Because in Philippians 4, the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, I can, uh, God has taught me to be content in whatever state I am, whether I'm poor or rich, whether I'm hungry or full. But, like, there's a bigger context to what's going on. Uh, so what, what happens is sometimes we get into these where we get into these modes where we'll read a devotional or we'll, we'll read an Instagram post where it's just a really uplifting verse, but we don't, aren't actually engaging with Scripture. We're just, in, we're just engaging with positive sentences. Uh, where we need to get the whole of what's going on. We don't want to miss the forest for the trees, if you will. So we want to engage with Scripture in larger portions. That's why I would always encourage you uh, to read and to study books of the Bible as opposed to just opening up your Bible and pointing to a place and just reading from there. Uh, I love this story. There was this guy who, he was looking for a message from the Lord. He was looking for a word from the Lord. So he decided that he was going to just open up his Bible and just uh, see where it pointed. So he, he pulled out his Bible. And he said, God, I need to know what you want me. God, I need to know what you want me to do. And he opens it up and he points at something. And, and the Bible says, Judas went out and hanged himself. Judas went out and thanked himself. And he said, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that message. So, so he said, I don't really like this. So uh, he opened to another section of scripture. He points at it and he finds the verse. And the verse says, go and do likewise. He <laughs> said, no, no this, this can't be right. So he closed his Bible. He opens it up again and he points at something. And he says, and what you're going to do, do quickly. 
Listen, that's not the way that we want to engage with Scripture. We don't want to engage with Scripture by just randomly picking and choosing stuff out of its context. I would always recommend studying Scripture in, in a larger format. We want to understand the whole storyline of Scripture, but we want to really, uh, I would encourage you to study books of the Bible. That's what we do in our discipleship groups. That's what we encourage you to do is to study books of the Bible because you're getting the whole context. So you're actually getting the message of God. So what is the grander context in Genesis 12 through 14? Well, let's actually look at the context of the book. What have we seen so far in the book of Genesis? So far in the book of Genesis, what we've seen is man is rebellious against God. Man is running from God. Man is embracing wickedness. And what we have seen so far is that God in his grace is stepping into the lives of people and he's pursuing them. And that's what we've seen in Genesis 12, 13, and 14 over the course of the last four weeks. Uh, Abram runs from God. Whenever he goes to Egypt, in a moment, in a lapse of faith, he goes to Egypt, he, he tries to give away his bride, and then God steps in and pursues him by grace. And I want you to catch this in chapter 12, the, the parallels, the, the similarities between chapter 12 and chapter 14. Abram proverbially spits in God's face and what he's doing and what he's called him into. Because in chapter 12, God gave him a beautiful promise that God would give him a land and he would give him a blessing that through his family line that God was going to give him miraculously, he was going to bless the world. That's a promise looking forward to Jesus Christ. And then Abram gives up on that and he goes after Egypt and he goes after, uh, he goes after comfort and God pursues him and God brings him back. Now what do we see in chapter 14? Lot has done the same thing that Abram did in chapter 12. Lot has run from God. Lot has pursued material comfort. Lot has spat in Abram's face. And now Abram is in the position where he is pursuing Lot, just like God had pursued him. What is the motivation for Abram pursuing Lot in grace? It's because he understood how God had pursued him. And whenever it comes to our relationships, whenever it comes to the way that we live our lives, we have to live our lives out of the overflow of that grace. We have to live out of the overflow of knowing that I am a sinner who was in need of a Savior, and Jesus pursued me, and Jesus forgave me, and Jesus rescued me. So then I will go and give that out. I will let that overflow into the lives of other people. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians 4.32, be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. How? What's the motivation? for our forgiveness. I've heard people all my life say, oh, I just can't forgive that. I just can't forgive that person. You just don't know what they've done. But God says, hey, forgive one another. Uh, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. What's the motivation for that? Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. The motivation for my forgiveness is the fact that I have been forgiven. The fact that the, the motivation for my giving out grace is the fact that I have been given grace. That's why we love each other. That's why we deal with each other's imperfections. That's why church should never be about me just getting together with a group of people that are the same age as me and the, pe the people that like all the same things that I do and all of those kinds of things. Hey, it's nice to get together with friends that are the same age. It's nice uh, to get together. It's nice to get to, I don't know why I, I laugh at you. I, never. I'm going to make a confession. Sorry, pause. We're putting a pause in the service right now for just one moment. Uh, 
Sometimes I just get like a little worked up whenever phones go off in the service. And if your phone goes off, I'll give you grace. And this is why, you know what? This is a perfect illustration. This is why I need grace. Because my phone just went off right up here on the platform and it goes off right as we're getting ready to wind down the message. See, I need grace, so I should give you grace. Uh, so, sorry that my phone went off. Where were we? The fact that the grace of God, God's grace has been given to me, that should be the fuel for my relationships and everything that I do. So we might ask the question, well, pastor, how does that work practically? Like last week, we talked about the what, we talked about discipleship, we talked about uh, hospitality, we talked about community and really committing, uh, which by the way, we're gonna talk about this a little bit more at the end of the service, but I am really excited about our community groups that are launching next week. I am so excited. And my hope and my desire for you is that you won't just attend, but that you'll really commit to a group because the reality is, is God wants to partner with you uh, in, in doing the transforming work that he's doing in other people's lives. Like there are people that are going to be in the group that you will be a part of that need your voice and need your experiences and need God to work through you for their benefit. And you need to commit and be a part of the group because they're, because you need the voices of other people. Like you don't need just my voice. You need the voice of other people. Uh, so I hope that you'll commit to that. We talked about community. We talked about those kinds of things. But how do I actually like run on the overflow of God's grace? Okay, well, let's let's start with, it starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Like you can't be overflowing with God's grace if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Jesus died for you. He rose for you so you could have a relationship with God and so you could experience and have God's grace. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's where it starts. And if you don't know him as your Savior, then please talk to me at the end of the service. I would love to show you from the Bible how you can know Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's where it starts. And then for all of us who are believers, how do we continue in that grace? Well, we keep, we keep looking to the cross. Uh, we keep running to the Savior. We keep acknowledging our need for his grace. We keep engaging. We keep on uh, immersing ourselves in the scriptures and recognizing, Jesus, I need you. We run to him for grace. So to give you a couple practicals, couple of practices, uh, if you would go ahead and take out your worship guide, you should have received it whenever you came in. I just want to give you a couple of, I want to give you a couple spiritual practices uh, to implement into your life to help you just grow and depend on and lean into uh, the grace of God in your everyday life. So if you have that worship guide uh, on the, at the bottom of the notes, at the bottom of the notes, uh, the first tool that I want to give you, the first resource that I want to give you uh, is the resource called the One Minute Pause app. Uh, it's the One Minute Pause app. It's something that I've discovered a few weeks ago, and it's something that has just been a huge help to me. Maybe you've been in a similar situation to where I have been, uh, where I'm just like running from thing to thing, where I'm running from work to home and I feel overwhelmed and really anxious. And, and I can't, and it's hard whenever you're feeling over anxious, it's hard to give grace to other people. Typically, uh, whenever I'm just running from thing to thing, uh, then what happens is I end up being snappy with my kids, I end up being snappy with my spouse. Uh, this tool has really helped me over the last uh, couple of weeks. This is the One Minute Pause app. Uh, you can scan it with a QR code and you can download it there. But what that is, is it's just, it takes you through a series of, uh, basically a series of prayers uh, where you, you download it and it walks you through a one minute, a three minute, a five minute, or a 10 minute, uh, what they call a <coughs> pause. 
uh, where you just uh, remember who Jesus is, what he has done for you, uh, his remembering his love for you. Uh, it encourages you to pray through some certain things. Uh, one of those that it encourages that has helped me is just whenever I get stressed, one of those pauses, one of those moments is where it just encourages you to pray. God, I give everyone and everything to you. Uh, God, this thing that's stressing me out, this, this relationship that's stressing me out, God, I, I give that to you. Uh, and it's a lot easier to give grace whenever I know that God has it, when God's in control, uh, than whenever I feel like I have to control it. Uh, so I'd encourage you this week to download that app and maybe just at different points throughout the day, walk through one of those, walk through one of those uh, sessions, if you will, one of those guided prayer sessions, if you will. I believe that will help you. I know that it's helped me uh, rely on and lean on God's grace more. Another spiritual practice really is the spiritual practice of community. It's that spiritual practice of community. It's engaging with other people because whenever I'm really, whenever I'm really uh, rubbing shoulders with other brothers and sisters in Christ, that's something that fuels me. That's something that fuels me up. Uh, so we are starting that next Sunday. Next Sunday, we are going to start that. The way that that's going to look, because many of you have asked, I've been talking about it for the last month. Practically, here's how this is going to look. Each Sunday morning after the morning service, about 10 minutes after the morning service ends, uh, then we're going to have a couple of groups, a couple of small groups that meet together. And what we're going to do is we're going to pray for each other. We're going to encourage each other. We're going to get to know each other. Uh, we're going to share prayer requests and those kinds of things. And then we're going to actually walk through uh, the teaching from the message. And we're going to actually discuss together how, do we, uh, how does this actually play out in our lives. Uh, so you might do something like uh, you might do something like today. I reference Ephesians four thirty two, uh, where you might in your group actually go to Ephesians four, and you might actually look over that together, so you see the full context of what's going on. And, and we're going to talk about what did we learn about God from the message, and what do we learn about each other from the message. And, and it's going to be a beautiful time of actually diving a little bit deeper uh, into what God spoke to us about through the message. Uh, and we're going to pray for each other. And then throughout the quarter, because we're going to run this for this quarter up until Thanksgiving, uh, we're going to multiple times throughout, about once a month, we're going to actually spend time together actually going out and having fun or doing something together to share the gospel with others. And it's going to be a wonderful time together. And I would just encourage you, don't just, and it's a huge distinction, don't just attend, commit. Actually commit to a group, commit to the people in your group, commit to whether they are like you or not, whether they look like you or not, whether they're the same age as you or not, whether they have whatever, just I'm going to commit to loving the people in my group like Jesus loves me. Uh, I believe that I believe that as we depend on him, as we as we rely on his grace, as we uh, acknowledge and remember, and as we preach the gospel to ourselves every day, that we will be filled with his grace and then we'll be able to give his grace and we'll see God do amazing things. We'll see God do amazing things in our church. We'll see God do amazing things in our community. But it's not going to happen because we just say, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to go out and just be a world changer because I'm that awesome. Guess what? I won't speak for you. I'm not that awesome. But we have a Savior who is amazing. We have a Savior who gave himself for us. We have a Savior who rose again. We have a Savior who gives us the power of the resurrection to go out and live for his honor and for his glory. Uh, and he's given us a family to encourage and build up each other, to bear one another's burdens, to strengthen each other, to provoke each other, to love and to good works. He's given us what we need 
to walk and to live by his grace. And church, what I'm calling us all to, what I'm calling myself into, because I'm attending a group, I'm sitting in a group that I'm not leading, I'm, I'm going to receive help from you. Uh, we're all going to recognize our need for God's grace. We're all going to help each other grow, and we're all going to see what God can do whenever there's a group of people who love him supremely, who love each other unconditionally, and we believe, I believe God will do amazing things. So let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Uh, let's respond to how God has spoken to us and commit to make our commitments to him, uh, and then we'll move on with the service. Father, we love you. Thank you for your wonderful grace. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave yourself for us and Lord, thank you for what we've learned from the lives of Abram and Wad over the course of the last several weeks. We saw you pursue Abram in grace. We saw you step into his life and rescue Sarah and bring them back together. And Lord, thank you for how we've seen that grace motivate more grace. And Lord, I pray that in our lives and in our interaction with others, that we wouldn't be motivated by a need for control, a need to look good, a need for, uh, to perform for acceptance, uh, to try to earn, uh, to try to earn uh, your favor or grace. But I pray that out of the overflow of what you have given to us in the Lord Jesus, may we love others uh, in like manner. Lord, I pray that if there's any person here today who does not know Christ as their Savior, I pray that they would turn in repentance and faith, that they would run to the cross and that they would put their faith and trust in you. Lord, I pray that if for any believer here today who uh, has not been, who's been functioning, who's been living out of step with the gospel, I pray that they would recognize and run to you for grace. And Lord, I pray that you'd mold us and shape us to be the church that you want us to be and that you've called us to be in Jesus' name. If you would please keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to how God has spoken to your heart. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor David, you talked about beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, knowing him as my Savior, and the fact is, is I just don't know Jesus Christ as my Savior. Uh, I don't know that I have a relationship with him, but I would like to know more about that. Would you pray for me? Would you just take a second and raise your hand there in your seat? If you say, Pastor David, I don't know that I have a relationship with Jesus, but I want to learn more about starting there. Would you just raise your hand? No one's looking around except for me. Maybe you're there in your seat and you're saying, Pastor, I, I have been, uh, in my relationships with other people, uh, I've been running more on the fuel of control uh, or I've been running on the fuel of name, whatever it is, but I've been running on something other than the love and the grace of God. Would you just take a moment there in your seat? Thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand. Would you just take a moment there in your seat and ask God for his grace to help you to love other people by his grace and not in a manipulative or sinful way? Would you just take a moment and respond to the Lord there in your seat? Father, we come before you. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, that you would shape our hearts and our lives. That you would make us more like Jesus. May we live like Philippians 2, where it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. 
being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death of the cross. May we live with the mind of Christ. May we love with the heart of Christ. And Lord, I pray that we would impact others inside and outside these walls by your grace. If there's any person who doesn't know you as Savior today, I pray and ask that they would receive you.